welcome. You are listening to Fresh Out of Beta, the diabetes podcast that breaks stigma, challenges the current diabetes narrative and keeps it real. Brought to you by Quinn. I'm Charlie and I look after Quinn's social media. And I'm Vanessa and I look after Quinn's marketing. And today we are speaking to Lexi, aka the Divabetic, and we will be discussing 100 years of insulin and access to insulin in the US. Lexi, thank you for joining us. I'm Lexi, obviously. (laughs) Um, I've lived with type 1 diabetes since I was 10. And um, back in college, I pretty much like realized that most of the people that I was in school with had no idea that I had diabetes. Like they would one day see me take out a syringe or like, you know, eat a fruit snack in the middle of class or something. And then they'd be like, oh, are you diabetic? I had no idea. You know, I've known you for three years now and I'm just finding out that you're diabetic. And, you know, it was at that point that I was like, oh, my gosh, like if something were to ever happen to me and nobody knows that I'm diabetic, like that could be really bad. So um, I just decided to start like sharing more about diabetes with everybody in college. And the easiest way for me to do that was Instagram. Um, So I just started like posting here and there of like, you know, just when I have a low blood sugar, when I have a high blood sugar and, you know, just everything that we live with, with type one. And, um, you know, from there, I really just started connecting with the diabetes community online, which I had no idea that that was even a thing. I'm sorry if you can hear that. My blood sugar is actually dropping. Um, But yeah, so like I just started connecting with other people and it's just been amazing because now obviously as charlie i'm sure you know you know whenever you connect with all these people online it's like you literally do not feel alone anymore and um and that's pretty much just what you know my focus has become people know that life is you know you can still live a normal life with diabetes yeah absolutely i think that's something that we are all um striving to kind of educate people on is that yes diabetes can get in the way but ultimately we can still live our lives and you know live our best lives um while also living with this chronic illness and I think that was something when I joined the online community I kind of that really opened my eyes to a lot of things and it was it was great because it was really helpful you know newly diagnosed in my 20s um to kind of be like okay i can still i can still do everything i want to do this isn't going to hold me back so that's sort of been invaluable this whole time well thank you for joining us and agreeing to speak with us so i just wanted to begin by asking you uh, if you wouldn't mind sort of sharing your experience just of living with diabetes obviously we both live in the uk vanessa and i um when Vanessa is not in the Caribbean, she's in the UK. So we're here kind of full time. Uh, so obviously our healthcare system is very different over here. And um, so I'm just really interested in kind of knowing how that, like, you know, growing up from the age of 10 with type one, um, how has that affected you in any way? Because I've seen, I've watched one of your Instagram lives where you're talking about your mom and your mom, I think was in the Instagram live. And she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I just thought it was really nice the way you were kind of speaking about your experiences with hair. So I just wondered if you wanted to share any of that. Um, yeah, of course. So um, I guess starting off, the main thing that I think is different between our healthcare systems is um, the fact that we have to get things approved by our insurance companies. And oftentimes um, here in the U.S., we have a deductible that has to be met, a certain amount of money that has to be spent um, in order for the insurance company to start paying more money for our uh, medications. Right. So we have a deductible to meet and then we have co-pays, which is like, you know, a payment that we put towards every prescription that we get. Um, and so um, with diabetes, obviously we have tons of things that we need every month. <laughs> and, um, you know, thankfully I've, I've been blessed to always have insurance, you know, with my mom being a nurse, like we've always had insurance, but just because you have insurance doesn't mean that things are, um, you know, super affordable. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, there's never been a time that I've ever had to go without my medication or anything like that. But I will say that because of the structure of our insurance, um, they put limits usually on like how often we can check our blood sugars or, um, you know, the amount of insulin that we can get, which is all based on, you know, the prescription that your doctor writes. So um, one thing that I always, I always say nowadays is I feel like a CGM is a necessity. It's not a luxury. And although CGMs are, are relatively new, um, I think if I would have had a CGM when I was first diagnosed, my diabetes probably would have been better managed like my, my entire life. Because yeah. the way that they um, advise us here is to check your blood sugar four times a day, um, you know, pretty much eat four meals a day, have snacks or whatever in between. But you and I both know that just checking your blood sugar four times a day literally tells you nothing. It only tells you what your blood sugar is in that very moment. And so there's no way to take the best care of yourself if you're only testing four times a day. Um, and so that, that in itself, I mean, I kind of blame that for a lot of the issues that I've had um, with diabetes and, you know, all of them aren't necessarily issues, but I just know that if I would have, known a the importance of constantly knowing my blood sugar patterns um and b just having access to check my blood sugar frequently um it would have made a huge difference so um like we said i was diagnosed at 10 years old um i was lucky enough to go to a diabetes camp as a child i think i went for like three summers and then um I got to high school and it's like all that went out the window. <laughs> I, um, I thought that I knew my body so well, like, you know, I'm just so in tune with my body. I don't need to check my blood sugar. Like I can feel when I'm high, I can feel when I'm low, I'm good. And so I would go, you know, a couple days without even, the only time I would check my blood sugar is if I felt really low. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I really don't even feel my highs. So I was probably high quite often and just never knew it. But um, I was also an athlete in high school. So it's literally a miracle that nothing ever happened to me. I never passed out. I've never like been hospitalized because of diabetes. Um, 
but that was like a big thing for me in high school. Just like, I didn't feel like I needed, needed to test. I would just take my insulin and just go on with my day. Um, and I think because of that, I kind of developed this, like, like this independence type of thing, like diabetes, a, you know, I have to take care of it, obviously, but it shouldn't be anybody else's problem. I'm dealing with it. I know my body. And so whenever I got to college, I never even felt the need to like tell people about my diabetes um, and, unless it was my professors in, in class, because, um, you know, if I had to eat a snack or something in class, I didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, eventually, and I think I said this before, but I don't think we were recording, but um you know, eventually I realized that none of really none of my friends, I think maybe my roommate and like one of my closest friends knew that I I was diabetic. And I realized, you know, that could be a very bad situation if something were ever to happen to me. Um, And so, you know, that's when I just decided, literally, I woke up one day and I said, I want to start taking better care of myself. Um, I ended up losing a friend actually back in college to type one diabetes to a low blood sugar. Um, she lost her life and it just really like, that's when it really hit me that diabetes, like, it's like, I knew it was real, but like, I just, it, I lived with it for so long. It just didn't even feel like it could really affect me. And for me to lose a friend who was my age, she was 21. Um, it was just like, oh my gosh, like I really got to get it together. And so, um, that also back to the mental health thing. I mean, that played a major part, like my anxiety about diabetes, about low blood sugars is so, it still is really bad. Like I'm very paranoid. I, I oftentimes will eat to have high blood sugars just so that I won't go low at night. Like it's, it's really a thing that I'm still, I'm still working on. But, um, I think the, the main parts of, um, my mental health that have been impacted by diabetes is my anxiety. I'm just, I feel like I'm always kind of on edge because, you know, and, and after speaking to um, a diabetic therapist on um, Instagram, she basically said that uh, it makes sense for diabetics to have anxiety and some even have um, PTSD like symptoms because every single day we're making decisions that could literally end our life. Like you take just a little bit too much insulin, you could die. If you don't have enough food, you could die. Like, so it, you know, we, I mean, we're, we're incredible people, honestly, <laughs> but I hope I answered your question. I feel like I was just rambling. No, no, no I, you have, you, you have some questions and yeah, you guys are incredible. I mean, all of like the amount of decisions that you have to make and it's like, like I, I see things all the time about like the amount of calculation and like it's 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 it is amazing. So thank you for sharing your story. This is this is very helpful. I think you've answered the question. Did you agree, Charlie? Absolutely, yeah. You said at some point um, that you wish you had a CGM earlier. Um, in in Mm -hmm. your diagnosis or earlier in your life um, with diabetes what what do you think would have made it that important then and um what would you say to people that don't have one or can't can't afford one because these technologies also are not 
cheap. Right. Um, for people who can afford one and choose not to get one, <clears throat> my biggest thing is you can, the only way that you can make the best decisions possible is by having the most information that you can have. That's in research, you know, in science, in the medical world, that's math, like every, every subject. The more information that you have to make a decision, the better decision that you can make. And that that's the same for diabetes. Um, you know, if you're only making decisions based on what where your body is four times throughout the day, you have no idea what's happening in between those times. Um, and you can't really tweak what you know, you can't really like. What am I trying to say? Um, hmm. I guess, you know, you can't really just manage it in the best way possible. For instance, like having my CGM, I have learned that bananas make my blood sugar increase very quickly. So before that, you know, I would always think that they always tell us to drink orange juice. If you have a low blood sugar that's really low, like drink orange juice and it'll come back up. So the only thing that I thought that I could drink or have was orange juice. But then I started realizing with my CGM because, you know, on the CGM, you have a graph and it also has arrows, depending on which one you have, it'll show you arrows. Like if your blood sugar is going up quickly, um, if it's going up slowly, your arrow will be pointing diagonally. So anyway, um, you know, you can just, you can figure out like what different foods do to your body. Um, and, and I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. You can literally like like how I said earlier that I thought that I was so in tune with my body in high school. I, I was not. I had no idea. Like I, back in high school, I used to eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. I did not know how I did that because now with the CGM, I can see that Pop-Tarts like shoot my blood sugars to the moon and it takes them forever to come back down. Um, so, yeah, that that's for the people who, who can't afford a CGM. For the people who cannot afford a CGM, because I know too, that they are very expensive, especially depending on what type of insurance you have, and especially if you don't have insurance. Um, definitely speak to your healthcare provider and show interest in getting one, because many healthcare providers know of um, organizations who give scholarships or who donate supplies, um, and a lot of them that I've heard of just don't really bring it up unless the patient is actually showing true interest in getting these devices. So obviously that, you know, everybody in the world, unfortunately, won't be able to receive these donated items. But if you can be one of those people, it can be, it can be very life-changing. And if not, um, I would still just say, see if your doctor can increase your prescription for your test strips. If you can test your blood sugar, even six times a day, I mean, the more times that you can test your blood sugar, the better decisions you can make for your body. Why do they have a limit on how many times you can test your blood sugar if you don't have a CGM? Like, is that a financial thing or like what, what is, I don't understand that. Um, yeah, you know, I I really don't understand it either. <laughs> I, I I really don't. I do not know why that's a thing. I mean, I know that the, it's the insurance companies that that's what I've heard that it's the insurance companies that put a limit on it. And um, 
your doctor may be able to fight that and say that you like actually need to test your blood sugar more, which you obviously do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, there's no like real reason, in my opinion, that they say that, that they tell us that. Right. I, I, just, I think that's, it's, um, I just think that's very strange that they do that. You know, when you, when, when you think about, you know, you have days where you just low all day, you know, or you're mm-hmm. high all day, like how are you supposed to deal with that and even begin to know how to treat, you know, or not treat whatever, like if you can only test four, four times, like I just don't know how, how people can, how, you know, how that can be allowed really for people's safety. It's, um, that's quite scary. Yeah, it really is. And, um, something that I've read before that was an attempt to defend, um, insurance companies is that, so we also have like over the counter, um, glucometers and test strips that you can just go into a pharmacy and purchase, um, without a prescription. But of course, you know, sometimes those meters aren't the most accurate ones. There are some that are, and they might be kind of pricey for some people, you know, $20. I think it's like $20 for maybe like 20 test strips, which is like a dollar a test strip. And, you know, for some people, that's a lot of money Mm -hmm. and to have to, you know, and we're talking about testing more, trying to test more than four times a day. So that little bottle of 20 test strips is only going to last you five days. But what the article was saying was, you know, oh, if you have to test more than your prescribed amount of test strips, you can always just go buy more test strips over the counter. But still, I mean, that's still going to be unaffordable for some people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, over here, I know you can um, you can buy test strips over the counter. I actually had to do that once because uh, I just run out and haven't put my prescription in. And I think that was about twenty pound for, um, for a small amount. I I would normally get fifty on my prescription, um, mm-hmm. and I think for like twenty test strips over the counter, it was about twenty pound. So it's just I don't know. I just think if you if you have a chronic illness like diabetes, you should just be able to access what you need. You know, I can't get my exactly. Head question obviously in relation to like the advert like the um, how much progress has, has been made since the discovery of insulin about 100 years ago um of well it's the discovery of insulin as a treatment for type 1 right diabetes right i mean how yeah. far along do you think we've come like what do you think about like the progress that's been made um, as far as insulin goes, as far as just or, treating diabetes, because well, you, you'd think, okay, so a treatment that was discovered and administered for diabetes for the first time a hundred years ago, with all that we've managed to achieve, you know, in terms of health and medication, like just generally in the world with the advances in technology. It feels like it's what we have is great. Like, you know, we've got CGMs, we've got 
you know, better insulin, but like, yeah, people with diabetes are still treating diabetes in the same way it was discovered hundred years ago. If you look at it from a high level perspective, like you're still administering insulin through the skin, you're still injecting. Um, like, what do you think? Do you think we've made a, we've made a lot of progress, or do you think there's still pro- progress to be made? And if you think there's still progress to be made, like, do you think where do you think the progress needs to be made around? Is it access to insulin, or is it finding a cure? I mean, I guess we all want to find a cure, but like, what what's missing? Yeah. So. Um... I definitely think that we have come very far um, as far as technology goes. Like, like I said, on the C- speaking about the CGM, you know, I'm very passionate about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the CGM is just as important as insulin, honestly. Um, but CGM are you on, by the way? Freestyle Libre Two. Okay, 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 okay cool. Mm-hmm. And I've tried a couple different ones, but that's the one that I have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Insulin pumps, you know, now they have it to where certain CGMs and certain insulin pumps have a closed loop system. So they basically, the two devices can talk to each other and almost like are like automated as if it was a pancreas to where if your CGM reading is high, then your insulin pump will administer more insulin. Or, you know, if you're low, your insulin pump will um, back off on the insulin. I mean, that's really cool that that is like, a step in the right direction as far as, you know, I guess, a uh, uh, fake pancreas, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but I definitely think there is still progress to be made. Like you said, there's parts of the diabetes world that are still like they were a hundred years. People are still dying from diabetes today. That should not be a th- like, the only reason that somebody should even have to think about dying from diabetes should be because they make a decision that they do not want to take care of themselves. It should have nothing to do with access. It should have nothing to do with affordability. It should be like a decision that somebody makes like, Hey, I don't want to live with this. That should be it. Um, and I, I feel like we are nowhere near that. I mean, there's parts of the world that don't really don't even have insulin at all. You know, it's like, so minuscule. And so um, I definitely think any affordability, number one, and accessibility for places that don't really have it. But I also do, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, because I am, I'm a finance person, I, I think about money and business and all that kind of stuff. If the world really wanted to find a cure, we would have a cure by now, I believe. Um, I don't think then this might be um, a conspiracy theory, but whatever. But I, I honestly do not think that researchers and insurance companies or whatever, I don't think they're really pushing for a, a cure as much because think about how much money they would lose from test trips to doctor's visits to insulin, to pumps, to CGM. Like that's a billion dollar industry that they would lose if they came up with the cure for all of us. Um, And so I just, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I hate to say it, but I believe that they are simply trying to make diabetes something that can be managed, not something to be cured. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, that just puts us back to where it's like, okay, we're never really going to be a hundred percent 
away from where we were a hundred years ago, but all we can do is continue to make progress. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, I mean, if, if we were to see some progress in the way people are being treated, what you said is basically accessibility where there isn't enough access to insulin. So there are like a lot of people like look at insulin and scare the cats. Well, I mean, the difficulties to access it from an affordability perspective in the US, but there are countries in this world were actually just even getting the latest formulations or like, like insulin is super hard to, to get your hands on. And I think that's a very good point you made um, that like, yeah, of course, you know, there are problems in some of West, the Western countries, but there are countries that just basically, if you've been diagnosed with diabetes, it is probably um, a death sentence because well, you can't get your hands on insulin. And that is a fact. And, and thank you for, um, for raising, that, raising that point because 100, 100 years down the line, something that was invented and that was meant to be freely accessible really isn't. When mm-hmm. of, I mean, you can get your hands on a smartphone pretty much everywhere in the world now. But right. One of the things that you can. So I think that's a, that's a very important point. Um, I've, I read an article about some um, like Emirati researchers in Abu Dhabi that have basically found a way to administer insulin through a pill. And they're basically saying that the reason why they looked into this was, first of all, um, because administering insulin through your skin obviously doesn't emulate, you know, the function of your pancreas in, in the, well, I mean, it would never, because if your pancreas, if you're having a problem with your pancreas, you know, you can't recreate it. Even with the closed loop systems, you know, there are still um, issues around that, which is why, I mean, a lot of them have not been cleared by FDA, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think of that? Like, what do you think of like, insulin in a pill instead of having to inject insulin, for instance? You know, I think it's really fascinating. Um, and also, I don't know if you've heard of the um, inhalable insulin. I think it's called a Frezza. Mm-hmm. They have like an insulin inhaler as well. And the, I mean, they're really fascinating to me, but I would be too nervous to try it just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because, you know, I'm so, I mean, like I said, I've, I've lived most of my life injecting or having a pump and I just, I don't know, it's, I'm comfortable there, but I do think that, that, you know, for, there's so many people who don't, they don't take their insulin shots, especially people who are diagnosed later on in life because they're afraid of needles or, you know what I mean? And I think, um, that, and also, sorry, my mind is everywhere. Um, also having, having the pills you know, when you think about it, um, affordability wise, you wouldn't have to pay for syringes or you wouldn't have to pay for pump supplies, mm-hmm. um, to administer the insulin. You would just take the pill. So that would actually be probably a lot more affordable for many people as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It yeah. Does. I mean, that, that is progress in a way. And I think in, by way of like, exactly as you pointed out, like people that have needle phobia, that could also mean that we save people's 
lives. We, you know, we save people from having to face complications. So I thought that was an interesting piece of research. I don't know whether it's been approved. I don't know whether it's ever going to be rolled out. I know that they're still um, in the lab, kind of like making trials with lab rats, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought that was quite interesting. Now, it really is. Yeah. yeah, it is, isn't it? So, I mean, th- th- there's a- another question that I have, and that's to do with, obviously, your experience as a black woman woman in America experience like navigating this system like have you seen any difference in your access to care or even like your di- your diagnosis or your condition being taken seriously and you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to but I'm I am curious yeah so and actually I'm, I'm happy to talk about this um you know it wasn't until I recently connected with the diabetes community that um, are online, the online community that I realized that certain things that I experienced may have been related to being a black woman. Um, I've always known that, you know, black women, I mean, there's a history of lots of stuff actually um, all over the world, but specifically I'm speaking for America because that's where I'm, where I'm from. But um, you know, of just, mistreatment, um, not being taken seriously. Most of the um, women who die in, in childbirth are Black women. Like, it's just, it's a whole thing. But I, first, I just, I never really related my diabetic experience to even being Black because, like, for instance, when I went to that childhood diabetes camp, I was one of few Black kids there. So, you know, what I, like, I don't know. I just, it just never really occurred to me. And then um, after connecting with some people online, I realized, okay, like we kind of had the same experiences, but you're not black and I am black and you like didn't have the bad parts of the experiences that I had. Um, And for instance, I can give an example. So um, recently I was diagnosed with PCOS, that's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And um, it's actually, mine was triggered by insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And um, so long story short, my husband and I have been trying to conceive. We have not conceived. It's been like over a year of us trying. And I had been like telling my doctors that something was wrong, like with my body. And they just kept, you know, brushing me off, brushing me off, brushing me off. And then finally um, we moved to another state um, and I found a new doctor. And I will say that this doctor was the first uh, female black doctor that I've ever had. And she finally like tested me for PCOS and diagnosed me with PCOS. So anyway, so that's just kind of the backstory. But in sharing some of this online, um, I had a lady that reached out to me and she told me basically she had the same symptoms that I had. She went to a doctor, which, you know, obviously we didn't have the same doctor and it whatever. Um, but she went to her doctor and, you know, it took maybe one or two times for her to tell her doctor about it. And she was like immediately test for PCOS. Whereas I went two years of telling my, um, healthcare providers that something was wrong and it wasn't, and I went to, I think three different doctors and 
it wasn't until the third doctor two years later that I was finally officially diagnosed with PCOS. Um, there's been times that I have um, went into the ER immediately. They're like, oh, it's your diabetes. You know, like, like they just assume that I don't take care of my diabetes. Like that's always the first thing that doctors seem to assume. And I don't even think, I don't think that necessarily is just as a black woman. I think that's how a lot of healthcare professionals look at diabetics in general, which is horrible. But, um, but as far as like just being a black woman, I've just, I've really started realizing, reflecting back over some of the things that have happened in my life, that many of those things may have been related to me being a black woman. So it's been interesting. And, and so I, I, I suppose the fact that you were able to connect to people online has made you realize this? Like, how, like, I'm interested to kind of find out more about like your advocacy and like, what is the, the most surprising thing that you've found out about diabetes or about yourself from being online and being um, connected with people with Instagram? Yeah, so, hmm. Probably one of the most fascinating things that I have found is just how many people feel alone. Like, I have so many people on my Instagram um, account who have reached out to me, um, you know, message me. Usually they message me, DM me, or even comment. But, um, you know, like, I'm one of the only diabetic people that they know. And in my mind, you know, like now that I'm in the diabetes community, I feel like I just like it's a whole world, you know, like my entire Instagram is full of like diabetes. I don't even see non-diabetic people on my feed anymore. Um, and it just it that's pretty much that's one of the like most eye-opening things. And also the fact, you know, I, I really took for granted the fact that I was blessed to go to a childhood diabetes camp um, as a kid, I didn't, you know, I just, I thought that was a normal thing back then because that's what my doctor told us to do. And so um, for people who, I couldn't imagine growing up my entire life and never meeting any other diabetics. Um, I, I don't think I would be who I am today mm -hmm. if I wouldn't have had a camp like that to go to and meet other diabetic children, as well as of course my, my parents. But um but yeah, that's probably one of the most fascinating things. I think also um, something that has been very interesting to me and it has also like really lit a fire in me is, is my PCOS diagnosis because nobody ever told me, nobody ever told me that my blood sugars could affect my fertility possibly nobody ever told me that mm -hmm. and in college I remember my endocrinologist um told me I think it was my sophomore year of college he said that I was showing signs of insulin resistance that's all he said he didn't tell me to make any changes you know like it was just it was just like he made it seem like it was just a you know part of the diabetes journey okay well it looks like you're developing insulin resistance and I'm like okay well you know my A1C is not bad. I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But if he would have told me back then, okay, well, these are the changes that we need to make. 
I may not be here today struggling to have a, a child, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, sharing that on Instagram as well. I mean, that's something that so many people don't know. And, um, you know, also just, I never knew, obviously PCOS and diabetes could be connected, but so many women out there with diabetes have PCOS and they had no idea that it, it is possibly related to their diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's just, that's another thing that I've learned just sharing stuff online is it's so many different things that, um, can come with diabetes, like autoimmune. That's what I was trying to say. Women with, with type one diabetes are a lot more high risk to have, um, other autoimmune diseases or disorders. And I think that's very interesting. It's almost like it's it's people and social media has helped loads of women just generally talk about fertility. And somehow like loads of women are now understanding where their fertility issues are coming from and are talking about because there's a lot of shame. And even still today, there's still a lot of shame um, that people carry around with fertility issues. But now I think the fact that there are people like you that are also making the connection and actually connecting the dots and making people aware of like what could be causing some of these issues, especially if you live with chronic illnesses, then I, I think it's extremely important because like I said, you know, let, letting people be heard and raising awareness around these conditions is I don't want to say it's fairly new, but women never used to say like publicly, you know, I'm struggling with mental health issues. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling to have a child. You know, like they would internalize a lot of the microaggressions that came with like all of that and never really talk about it. So I'm really glad that this is something that you're really like vocal about because like I said, you know, it might even be that people don't even know that they are they have fertility issues because they're not trying for a child, but it might be now that they can, you know, prevent, like, I don't know. Right. I don't know how you can prevent that, but maybe there are ways you can sort of like change your routine, maybe like look at your diabetes management. I don't know. I don't know whether they uh-huh. can do about it, but it's helpful, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. And, th- and that's the thing. It definitely, not in all cases, is it preventable, but it can be preventable. It's PCO, insulin resistance related PCOS can definitely be preventable in some situations. And so that's why, you know, I am so vocal about it because like I said, if, if my doctor would have told me that it could affect my fertility, I'd, I would have Look, I would have eaten like grass for my entire life to <laughs> avoid it. So <laughs> there, there definitely needs to be more conversations about that uh, between like doctors and, you know, the patient, I think, because, you know, with so many um, people who develop secondary autoimmune conditions or just other conditions or have problems with fertility like we don't know that any of this 
um, like what the cause is or why. And so much of it can come from, you know, having diabetes and they just don't tell you stuff like this. Like they don't tell you when you get diagnosed that your periods, like your cycles and everything are going to change or you're going to experience some form of, obviously not everyone, not everybody does, but there is a significant number of people who, um, have found that their menstrual cycles are completely different when, you know, they've been diagnosed with diabetes as an adult or even as a, you know, as a child, and then they're going through puberty. There's just so much that we don't know still. And I think that really needs to change so that people such as yourself who, you know, you've just found this out and it's like, it's, that could have, that could have been helped earlier on and like that's not fair on you so there definitely needs to be a lot more conversation about this with healthcare professionals yeah, and support I think yeah definitely like I think just even if you look at this sort of autoimmune conditions there's not a lot of mental health support for even women that are diagnosed with um, these conditions I think 100 years down the line if you look at like insulin diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. Like one thing that needs to happen is more research around just women. Because like, if you think about uh-huh. it, the, the, the amount of interviews that I've been on, like having conversations about women saying how much their menstrual cycle affects their diabetes management. You think about like the fact that now, amazingly, more and more people are living longer lives with diabetes, which never used to happen before, which is why I guess maybe there wasn't that much research. But now you have women that are aging with diabetes and you think about like menopause and like what impact that has on your diabetes management. There's yeah. anything that has to do with just carrying your child to like childbirth and how that, like a, a lot of like um, the research that's done around is done around sort of male conditions. So you read a lot of papers around erectile dysfunction with diabetes, but you don't read a lot about female, female sexual health. So I think maybe one other area in which there should be research and there should be a bit more awareness is these conditions, like, you know, these autoimmune conditions, that are, you know, um, caused by diabetes, but also like looking at like women and how, you know, how they can be supported um, from a medical perspective, but also from a sort of, oh yeah, from a medical perspective on both the physical and the mental fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I also, I wanted to um, say that you're so right about the research part. And, you know, I don't, I don't always blame the doctors. For instance, like my doctor who told me I was developing insulin resistance, um, you know, he was a man and he was not an ob So maybe he didn't, know. you know, everybody doesn't know. Doctors, especially the ones who are specialized, they specialize in one area and they don't really know a whole lot about other areas, you know, of the body. So I just, I feel like, certain that you know like we need a doctor (laughs) who I guess I mean you know right now obviously we have an endocrinologist but like we need a specialized doctor who can speak on diabetes and everything around it like not I don't know I just it's because there's no I mean diabetes is just such this like intricate thing I honestly don't think that we even know half of of all of the links between diabetes and its connections to everything else. Um, 
but I just, I just feel like there's not, like you said, we just need more research for women um, and, and diabetes in general. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and more consistency with that and with the support available. Uh, you know, you can't have one area where there's amazing support and then another where there's none. You know, there needs to be more more available more research happening because now there's no excuse anymore i don't think like mm -hmm. i agree i completely agree with you about um you know a cure and find not them not finding a cure because of money um which is very sad but i do agree with that my dad's had type one since he was 15 so i've kind of grown up like always wishing for a cure for him you know and now that mm -hmm. i live in it myself and i've looked into it more and I realize like what this kind of is it's like yeah um so i think i think there's this this I, I, there probably probably is a, an economic reason but i think the, the one of the reasons why also the cure i think may, the main reason just generally why people don't even really think about a cure is because people with diabetes are so good at managing diabetes and I'm not saying it's their fault, but I think people just think, oh, diabetes, they have insulin sorted, moving on. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I think yeah. with cancer, for instance, you see the immediacy of like someone, someone's potential like depleting health. Like you see the person literally like by day by day getting sicker and sicker. You know, you, the, the, the death is looming. Everyone will die. You know, we all die. But with cancer, people think you will die sooner. Whereas people with diabetes are doing an amazing job at looking at them after themselves. And a lot of people think, well, oh, you've got diabetes. You know, they just brush it off. And I think right. that's also the case in, in loads of situations. I think there's also a, a case of, I don't think we really know the extent of the complexity of this condition. Yeah. Because if you just think about people's body, we all have a unique system. So if you think about like a pancreas and your endocrine system, you know, how we react to things, you know, our gut bacteria, everything in our body is so unique. You know, we have common commonalities, but there, there's also a lot of uniqueness. And I think for us to be able to even cure diabetes, you know, the, the level of hyper-personalization you would need is crazy, right? So that means that like, you can't have healthcare systems because systems are things that are meant to work for a large portion of the population. But then if you need a hyper-personalization because everyone's so unique, then how do you systemize things? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you make it mm -hmm. work for the macro? So I think right. there is definitely, obviously, financial reasons. But I think the financial reasons also lies in the complexity of, like, this, this condition, but also the complacency that, well, you know, people, you know, it is one of, like, the leading the, in the top 10 um, uh, causes of death in the world. It is. Um, there is loads and loads more people diagnosed with it, but I think there's there's a sense of where do we start and how do we systemize this? And this is why technology, I think, is a solution. And I think you've said that.
quite clearly with, you know, because you, you, you advocate for CGMs, you know, the fact that you know how things impact you personally. Like, you know, we don't know what Banana does for Charlie or Sophie or X, Y, and Z, but you know what Banana does to you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that is a personalization. And it might be that like the more and more access you have to personal or personalized information, you can then make decisions differently and you can adjust the way you think about things. So I think, again, going back to the topic of our conversation, you know, 100 years down the line, maybe what we need to get closer to a cure is, you know, that level of hyper-personalization because the healthcare systems won't be able to give it to us. Maybe we have to find ways to, you know, like make them give it to us. And if we know more about ourselves, we become the experts. And I'm talking not necessarily from a diabetes perspective, but like just, I'm a human and we all have our own ailments. You know, I I have chronic migraines, for instance, nothing compared to diabetes, but I know what triggers it. I know, you know, the generic treatment that people will give me, you know, they'll just give me painkillers, but that doesn't like solve the root cause of, of it. But I know that if I'm able to track a lot of like my, you know, my migraines and I can identify patterns, I can know what triggers it and I know how to kind of soothe myself. So if you can do that with like things like menstrual cycles, migraines, and then maybe if we were doing it as a, at a system level for people with diabetes, then we'd get closer. But I think there's complacency as well. It's, I think it's, it's true that there's financial reasons, but I think where do they start? Yeah. Because everyone's so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're definitely um, right about the the complacency aspect. As a matter of fact, my grandfather and I had a, a talk about this before because um, he hates conspiracy theories and he thought that <laughs> he thinks that I'm this big conspiracy theorist as far as like the healthcare system and all that goes. But um, he was he basically said the same thing as far as, you know, the way that the world probably views it is diabetes can be managed and there's other, you know, more serious conditions that don't even have, you know, there's no ways to even manage those things yet. So, um, you know, those are like probably the priority for researchers and like all that stuff. Um, And also just, you know, when you really think about it, and this does kind of go back to the financial perspective of it, but if there were a cure, who would be able to afford it? You know what I mean? Like who would actually have access to that cure? Cause we have people right now who can't even get insulin. Mm-hmm. So it's like the cure would only probably help the top 1% and the rest of us would still be managing our diabetes with insulin or the people who can't afford insulin still wouldn't have their insulin. So mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely agree that it is a, a bigger, it's, it's more complex than just the money aspect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it has been lovely <laughs> speaking to you. I don't know whether we have any, any more questions, Charlie, or whether you have anything, Lexi, that you want to add that we, we haven't covered, but you really want to get out there. Um, Yes, I do actually really quick, Um, which I mean, I've kind of said it in. Overall, 
be your own health advocate. You know your body better than anybody else. And if you know something is not right or you know something is wrong, fight, fight, fight to yeah. get that figured out. If you have to, it's okay to get rid of a doctor. You don't owe your doctor any loyalty. It's okay to go get a second opinion. Um, and it's okay to do your own research and take your research to your doctor. That's actually how I got diagnosed with PCOS. I had all of my documents printed out with all my symptoms highlighted from Google. <laughs> and I told her, you know, I think I have PCOS. These are the symptoms that I'm having. And, you know, that, that's when she started testing me. So um, just fight for yourself because nobody cares for you more than you do. Absolutely. Definitely. So, well, thank you so, so much, Lexi, for um, agreeing to join us in this conversation. It's been amazing, um, very informative. Um, so if you want to remind us where we can find you um, and where we can follow, um, well, follow you and follow your, your journey, that'd be awesome. Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is the Divabetic, T H E D I V A B E T I C. Um, I also have a blog um, called The Sugarless Society. Um, and you can find that on my Instagram page as well. And yeah, that's that's where to find me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. Any word of um any do you wanna like conclude for us <laughs> uh just a huge thank you really it's been really informative to speak to you and um just learn more like because obviously with our healthcare is so different over here and the um the accessibility while there are some issues here it's just it really is just it's quite overwhelming really to think about um you know where you would even begin to access things over in america like because of the way things are so it's just been really great to actually learn more about it and speak to you and hear about your experiences so thank you very much for agreeing to um to come and talk to us and um yeah and keep inspiring us we're really definitely awesome. yeah fantastic thank yeah. you and hope the cayman islands are treating you well <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for, for having me. And I think what y'all are doing on here is amazing, honestly. It's, it's really great and it's so needed in the world today. Thank you. Well, we'll try our best to carry on. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. All right. Y'all have a good one. You too. Thank Bye. you. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode of Fresh Out of Beta. Next time, we'll be talking to Andrew, who lives with type 3C diabetes and hypo von Lando syndrome. We'll be discussing advocacy and the online diabetes community. Don't forget to subscribe to never miss another episode. And if you want to continue the conversation, chat to us on Twitter at Quinn Diabetes App using the hashtag Fresh Out of Beta. See you next week.